it's very easy for all of us to say, I'm not a good blank. We tell girls, don't say I am not good at math. Maybe you haven't been good at math, but you can become good at math. Same thing I would say to physicians. Maybe you haven't been good at negotiating, but you can become good at it. And it's a skill set that no one is born with as we as we opened with. And everybody can come to the table with good negotiation skills, even when the other party does not have it. Hello and welcome to Doc Working, the whole physician podcast. I'm Jill Farmer, a co-host of the podcast and lead coach at Doc Working, and we are really glad you're here. As always, Doc Working's podcast is brought to you by Doc Working Thrive. Go to docworking.com today and take our burnout quiz to find out where you are on the burnout to balanced continuum and learn how we can support you to have a life and practice that thrives. You guys are in for a treat today. We are going to have a great conversation so you can learn how to become a better negotiator. And to join us on that as an expert on negotiation, Dr. Sue Patternact is the CEO and founder of Encline Leadership Strategies. She brings over 35 years of experience and expertise in leadership and negotiation coaching, training, and facilitation to multiple levels of physicians in various medical specialties, from frontline physicians to chief medical officers. Dr. Sue holds a Doctor of Education from the University of Southern California in Organizational Change and Leadership, and her research for her doctorate focused on physician burnout in the COVID-19 pandemic. She is an Excellence in Teaching Award-winning adjunct professor at the University of California, Irvine School of Business, and has taught dozens of leadership and negotiation courses to physicians returning to school, earning their MBAs. Dr. Sue, thanks so much for being with us here today. It's wonderful to be here, Jill. Thank you for having me. When it comes to your background, start us with where you came to this work of recognizing that negotiation is an important skill for physicians to learn. What brought you to being able to support physicians in this way? Sure. Well, it actually starts going all the way back to the 1980s in New York City when the banking industry became deregulated. I was early career and needed to learn quickly how to help bankers go from people begging them for loans to having to sell and negotiate. So angry New York bankers was where I cut my teeth on teaching negotiation and doing negotiations coaching. Fast forward to the 1990s, where I worked at the LA Times, so there's our journalism connection, and I had to do something very similar with the sales organization with all of the alternative options to advertising. I needed to teach negotiations to that large population. Fast forward to the 2000s, when UC Irvine retained me as a member of the faculty, one of the courses they asked me to teach was negotiations. So I've had both um, healthcare executive MBAs. So those are people who are mid-career going back to their MBAs and MD MBAs who are medical students who are also at the same time getting their MBAs. So since 2005, I have been teaching negotiations there. I also taught at Loyola Marymount. So I have had extensive experience working with physicians and kind of overcoming the kind of self-identity of, gee, being a negotiator is not aligned with my self-identity and self-value. So I've gotten a lot of joy in doing negotiations, education, coaching, and teaching with the physician population. 
I love it. And you and I have talked before about this idea that often for physicians, the idea of negotiation makes them uncomfortable, right? For a variety of reasons. I hear a lot of times in my practice, things like, well, if I'm doing a really great job, why can't I just be given, you know, the salary that I deserve and not have to do this? And, and I like you really help us see that self-advocacy that comes from negotiation is really part of self-care, which is really important in any career, but especially for physicians when it comes to sustaining that career for the long term. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, think about it. When we walk away from any engagement with somebody else and the more we don't get what we want, especially when our self-identity is aligned with having had a great deal of control over our lives and career, and we are healers and treaters of others. So it gives us a sense of self-efficacy and control over things. We have a lot of regret. So there's the blame-shame thing, right? We blame others and, and we feel like victims, whether people feel like they're victimizing or not. And shame, right? I should have said that. We all think afterwards, right, what we could have, should have done better. That regret chill is a huge source of burnout. It's a victim thing from the environment. And it's also, I coulda, shoulda, woulda done better. So I really encourage physicians to reframe thinking about negotiation as self-advocacy and self-care, you know, as we said, but, and to stop conjuring up the negative stereotypes of the used car salesman and the wolf of Wall Street, <laughs> right? Uh, and, or the people who are overly accommodating and being nice and giving in a lot, hoping others will return it in kind because I'm such a good role model. So those are fight flight type of positional bargaining approaches. Those, those aren't really what we mean when we say negotiation. I love it. So so many good things there. One, I think that is important to say, because I know you and I have spoken about this before, nobody really is born being a great negotiator. There's this mythology out there that there's you know people who are good negotiators and people who are bad negotiators, and that it's some type of a fixed um, way of being in the world. And I love what you, you know shout from the rooftops, not only to your MBA students, but in your coaching practice as well. This is, it's, it's a skill that can be learned. And I also love what you just said, that we can, if we're not aware and we haven't learned the skills, we can believe two kind of default mechanisms when it comes to negotiating. One is that it's all about crushing the opponent, right? Whatever version that is. Or the other one is that if you'll be nice to the other person and then they'll be nice to you and everybody's just nice and nothing has to get uncomfortable and you don't have to ask for what you want. And and really both of those are kind of dead end ways to be when it comes to negotiating. Am I hearing you right? Yeah. As Peter Drucker, the great management theorist once said, hope is not a strategy. And so you, you allude to what we call in the behavioral sciences, the difference between state and trait, right? So is this a skill that I can acquire or is this, you know, how I am wired? So I would just welcome physicians to think of the time when they were in medical school. They weren't doctors then, right? But they became doctors with lots and lots and lots of training. And the good news is you don't have to work as hard to become a good negotiator as you did to become a, a physician. It is a set of learned skills and everybody learns them. And there are some aspects of both the, the there, there's an art and a science to it. There's the human element of, you know, inter and intrapersonal skills. 
And there's also a science to it, which is the analytical problem solving and decision making elements of it. So it's it's both and and all of those are things that physicians can learn and are already good at. Right. It's just a matter of having a little bit often and just a little bit of framework, a little bit more understanding about what the components are of a good negotiation so that you can work through those. Speaking of which, you have um, really, you beautifully teach, I think, a framework that even for somebody who is new to the ideas of being a strong negotiator, there's just a lot of easy ways for them to step into being a better negotiator by learning these five steps that you helped us lay it out. And so I want to go through those now with you just to help give the folks listening an idea of ways that starting even tomorrow, if they want to start practicing this in different aspects of their life, they could end up entering into relationships where negotiation is necessary and having more successful outcomes, win-win outcomes, which is, I think, what a lot of us are trying to do when we're in negotiations. So the first step that you lay out for us is emotional composure. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Um, Actually, let me take a step back for a second. I want to tell a quick story of the orange, which is a classic negotiation story uh, that highlights some critical principles in negotiation. So imagine two children fighting over one orange uh, one afternoon and a parent comes home seeing this. What do you think that parent typically does? Parenthetical question. Typically, that parent's going to split it in half and each child walks away all dog face and mopey because they only got half of what they wanted. Each wanted the whole orange. That is a position. I want the whole orange. Second parent comes home and asks, why did you want the orange so badly? And that child said, well, I'm in gymnastics finals and can only eat healthy foods. And that was the only fruit at home. And I was hungry. Why did the other child want it so badly? Because the other child wanted the outside peel to bake an orange cake for grandma's birthday to make her happy over the weekend. So when we look at the motivations, the things that we seek, right? Love, recognition, appreciation, and the things that we want to avoid, pain, embarrassment, shame, you know, bad luck, those kinds of things. Those are what we call our interests. And so had the first parents just asked, so why do you want the orange so badly? They would have gone from that positional bargaining. The best you can get is 51-49, right? Or a 50-50 split, right? But had they found out why, the concept is if you you understand what interests are, you can get not what you, you've heard this expression, not what you want, but what you need, Mm -hmm. right? I think. That's a Rolling Stones song, right? (laughs) Right. So why am I telling you this story? Because now let's start to dig into the five steps. Yeah. If we understand that negotiation is, it's a communication process to reach an agreement. When some of our interests are shared, right? We both have a strong need for that orange, but some are opposed. You know, we can make the best decisions based on those interests, right? Not just anyone. And by the way, getting away from the orange story for a quick second, sometimes the best outcome is no agreement. But that interpersonal decision-making process is needed when we can't get what we want on our own. So Mm -hmm. in other words, if I could get what I wanted by myself, I would need to negotiate with you. So 
there is some level of interdependence, even if Jill, I was applying, you know, to work for you as an administrative assistant, as an example, right? Mm -hmm. You're still dependent on me or the candidates to fill that role. So even though there's a power differential, which we'll talk about and, and it's felt, it actually isn't, you know, zero and a hundred. Right. Right. You know, it's actually a little bit more balanced than candidates even think. So that's why it's important to reframe negotiations as self-advocacy, as self-care, and self-expression so that people can be their authentic selves and not that used car salesman, Wolf of Wall Street, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, image that they have. So emotional composure, you and I talked about that as part of stress management and as part of emotional intelligence. So when anybody perceives a threat in the environment, a threat to their well-being, to their status, to their needs, to their sense of control. It's going to trigger, you know, an emotional reaction, whether that is anger or sadness or fear, whichever it was, it's usually fearing a negative emotion, right? Not a positive one. So I'm going to defer to the physicians to, you know, to to take it from here, but that's what we call amygdala override, right? Mm -hmm. The part of the brain that is the center of emotions. Right. I like to call it amygdala hijack. I read that. Hijack, right. It's just such a good visual, like, oh, wait, that, you know, that the emotional center that's giving me danger and alert signals has taken over and is trying to drive the bus, even though it has no really higher thinking capabilities. Yeah. And the trick to amygdala hijack is it tricks us into thinking that we're being rational, right? Who who has not sent that angry email and regretted it the next day, as an example, or reacted, you know, impulsively in the moment and was sorry for it later. We've all done that. That's human. So uh, emotional composure is self-awareness, right? So knowing what our triggers are, like you just found out that you've got a schedule exactly at the time when your kid is performing in band, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. And you had asked for that, you know, that time off or to be scheduled at an alternative time, right? That is, uh, is going to trigger, you know, because it's not just, I, I was dismissed, but now my kid is going to be disappointed. It doesn't mean dial it to zero, mm-hmm. but, you know, dial it down from say a 10 to maybe a four or five. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you can because that four or five is going to, you know, give you the strength to stand up for yourself, which is what we need. That's that self-advocacy part, with, but remaining in our rational mind. Yeah, I like that a lot because there, it's not that having that, you know, sometimes physicians beat themselves up for having what are human emotions, right? As humans, we are going to have emotions. It's getting what Susan David, the um, author and researcher from Harvard calls emotional agility, which is that mm-hmm. ability to have the emotion, process the emotion. And, you know, the emotion of frustration or anger often is about boundaries being needed. And so in this mm-hmm. case, in the, in the example you gave us, which was an excellent one, the boundary that was crossed was was schedule, you know, the the physician was told that they could have some control over the schedule by telling when they were able to work and not work and that boundary was crossed. And so I think that's just a good example of the frustration is not in and of itself evil. It's processing the emotion to a level where the frustration doesn't self-sabotage you. And that's beautifully said. Let's talk about another step for successful negotiations, which is know what you want. And I think this goes back to the interest part of things that you gave us to such a rich story in the orange story to think about. So talk more about that. 
Yes, thank you. And I told the orange story at that point. So now everybody knows what a position and what an interest is. So, you know, when you're analyzing your positions, you need to know what your issues are. So your issue is your schedules. And but that position is every time my kid performs band is the most that you want. And maybe that's monthly on Thursday afternoons. But you may have a range, Jill. You may have a range because you know that you're not going to get every Thursday afternoon off. But maybe the least you'd be willing to accept is at least once a month. You know, give me a least. I mean, that's a big range, right? Understanding that there's a physician, there's a staffing shortage, right? So that's a big give. But I still want to aim for the most as much as possible. And I want to give, and that's something called a concession strategy, right? So you want to give what's of most value to the other side and of, of least value to you. You know, so you know what, if you give me four, I'm happy to work on Sundays, which a lot of physicians don't, right, as an example, because my kids in band anyway, you know, that's practice day. So that's good for me. Right. So they may perceive that as a big, a good compromise and it might not be as much at all. So let me just advise your audience, please develop a range for yourself. That's part of the analytical part. Please do not reveal your range. Never because if I if you say to me, are you willing to work at least, you know, uh, you know, three times a month, I might say, sure, but I'd pr- I'd rather do it once a month. You're going to go, "Okay, well, you know, you said three, so I'll take three. <laughs> yeah. So, whenever we reveal a range, we're revealing the least we'd be willing to accept. So you always want to open and start and and inch away from the most that you you think is, and and it's, of course, reasonable. Uh, Contrary to that, though, you want to ask them for what their range is, because a lot of people don't know these negotiation principles. So you want to kind of see that. Underneath that, you want to really understand what your own interests are for all of the different positions, right? So what are you seeking motivationally and what are you avoiding? motivationally. So clearly, I'm seeking to be a presence in my children's uh, lives and, uh, and and avoiding, you know, being an absentee parent, right? Yeah. But that That's powerful. And that is fueling the emotion. So I want to channel that into analyzing it and self-advocating using a problem-solving approach. Okay. So we've talked about emotional composure, knowing what you want going into it. And then a third step that you recommend is stepping into their shoes. What do you mean by that? So it's important to kind of flip the binoculars, so to speak, and see things from the other party's point of view, because otherwise we're going to, you know, I'm going to remain steeped in and you're going to remain steeped in and, you know, we're not going to be able to bridge and and problem solve this. So even when we disagree, even getting ourselves out of feeling appalled is going to be critical, right? And we may never agree with their point of view, but think of it as gathering data, you're gathering just like you would gather data to diagnose a, a, a disease state, right? You're gathering data about what this person's positions and interests are. And the more you can find out their interests, well, of course, they want patient coverage. And of course, they're trying to be concerned so that the nurses aren't, you know, double, triple, you know, uh, scheduled, right? I mean, I'm concerned about that a physician too, right? We're on the same. So as much as we can find where we're on the same side, even if it's 5%. That also builds trust. 
And the more yeah. that we can build trust and try to see things from each other's point of view, it helps. Now, I would also caution the physicians listening to this that just because you're doing it, don't count on the other person doing this. Mm-hmm. Right. Otherwise, you'll be disappointed. <laughs> right. Right. That's yes. Yeah. I just because you're um, doing a good a good job of looking at where the Venn diagrams cross. That doesn't. Some people are more interested in you know the their own position only and not thinking in those terms. However, I always think you know I think in any conversation we have the ability to lead up, and so by ma- by modeling that connection in this third step of looking at things through the other person's perspective, stepping into their shoes, as you said, flipping the binoculars. It's just it's a very good human way for us to interact in a meaningful way that is likely to have more values-based outcomes in my experience. So let's talk about the fourth step, which is where you you call it the bridge, right? Bridging mm-hmm. from where we are, you know, we've come into this as calm as we can be. We're clear on what we want. We have thought about it from their perspective and tried to find a place where there's some crossover and we have shared thoughts, feelings, and needs. So what do you mean by the bridge? What's that? Okay, what so does that encompass as our next A couple of step? things. So one is use their language, use their words, right? As part of kind of summary. So it looks like here's where we are, Jill. You know, and I'm going to use your words. I'm going to use your language. And, and I can see this is tough for you too. I see that. I see you're stressed out too, right? So at the end of the day, when I'm bridging, I'm starting with a concept of I see you. I don't, you know, like I have flipped in the bit of monoculars and I, and I see, I see you. I don't necessarily stand where you stand. I'm not in your shoes, but I see you. And that's where you want to step to problem solving. So, it, so look, the core issue really is that, you know, that we don't have enough physicians to cover all of the schedules. You know, here's what I can offer, right? I, I, even though I did want, you know, four Thursday afternoons, what if we did three Thursday afternoons and I would take every Sunday? You know, and the the one Thursday afternoon I would be working, I would be, you know, also working with medical students and, you know, mentoring them for when I'm the days that I'm out. Right. As, as an example, you know, mm-hmm. as they're doing their rounds, something like that. Right. So that's where problem solving and kind of being creative. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, coming up with different ideas. Now, you might outright reject that. I'm like, you know, I can't make that work. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You might outright reject that. And so the, the tendency might be to say, well, what do you think about this? Or what do you think? about? Don't do that. You know, then I would say then I would say, well, well, what, what do you think? What do you suggest? You know, taking, you know, so taking the issues that I'm bringing to the table out. Right. I love and that. if and if you stand your ground and you're not you're not giving an inch. Mm-hmm. So that that will bring us to the fifth strategy. I'll stay. I'll I'll get there in a minute. But you may you have to make some choices, right? Based on your interests, this might be the best place, and your best friends work there. And you know, you might I might say, look, I'm willing to go down to two, and but don't go below your minimum, right? Right. Stand your ground because think of that that child who you're disappointing, who will at least see you twelve times a year. Right. That's where we get into and almost a totally different topic, but it's important, I think, to understand. It's what we've heard a lot as it relates to burnout, which is moral injury space, right? Where you feel like you're being forced to do something that is outside of your values. And that is a quick place for you to accelerate burnout. And so I think that's it's a really you know, it's not that I know Dr. Sue or you, or I'm trying to coach people to win or beat somebody, but if you, Mm -hmm. in, in an attempt 
to please the other person or just make things work, you're compromising something that is really important to your value system. There's going to be consequences to that in terms that's of that's exactly overall, right. You know, that's exactly right. That sense of regret, that blame shame that Brene Brown talks about, and um, and Marshall Goldsmith talks in his new book and Earned Life a, a lot about you know regret and not the little regrets like oh, I really shouldn't have had that chocolate ice cream cone or you know <laughs> um, it's like the large regrets like disappointing my child at a critical time in their teenage life. Right. That's powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that leads us to the fifth and, and final step, at least as part of this conversation today. I know that we could talk about this for hours. You have so yes. much knowledge. It's so interesting. But that's um, having a plan B. What do you mean by that? And what does that look like in real life? So your plan B is your best alternative if the negotiation fails to meet at least your minimum threshold for your positions, right? So what does that mean? That means if you're not willing to give an inch and it's Thursday afternoons, you know, included, you know, or it's Thursday afternoons. I mean, it's, you know, there's no threat. It's just, this is what it is. You know, this is the life we live, you know, you know, step out. So my plan B might be, okay, well, let me think about this, Sue. There's a physician shortage globally, and it's only going to get worse. You know, and I have quite a number of years experience under my belt. I'm sure I could fill a lot of holes, not just being a practicing physician. I could also fill a management role. I could mentor younger physicians. You know, I could teach. I could be at an academic teaching hospital. There's lots of roles I could fill, you know, and starting from scratch, bringing my expertise and experience, I could just, you know, include in my in my demands as a candidate you know, these are the hours, you know, that, that I'll be available. And it's kind of a non-negotiable to have every Thursday afternoon off. Can you make that work? So it's a source of power. Um, now, here's the thing about plan So just, B. I want to reiterate, I mean, I just want to sure. confirm that I understand what you're, what you're saying here. It's not, we're not encouraging anybody to, you know, threaten, well, I'm going to no. leave, but mentally it's getting people to think through what they really have as options for themselves and other than getting exactly what they want when they walk into the negotiations. Because if that's the only thing you're willing to accept, that's going to put a lot of pressure on a situation that you don't have any control over, right? Um, that you don't have total control over, I should say. So that's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay, good. That's hundred percent right. So it's, so having an alt, thinking that, look, I'm not stuck. That's often right? The source of the stress that's associated with that is this or nothing. And I'm sure that there are life circumstances around the globe where that is the case. And there might be physicians in situations where that might be the case too. Most of the time, it's not the case. And, you know, whoever you have as a thought partner, as whether it's a coach or a spouse or, or a friend, or if you reflect privately, right? Mm -hmm. You journal, you run, whatever it is, whatever your way of processing your thoughts are, right? That would be the time to really think creatively about what, how am I not 100% dependent on, you know, on at least getting my minimum here. So here's the thing about plan B. Plan B is usually less desirable than getting the minimum Mm -hmm. 
in your current situation, right? So by definition, it's not going to be as desirable. And yet you can start to make it more and more desirable. So I might hate the idea of change. I might be with this organization for 20 years. And I may also be interviewing for a smaller organization, right? It might not be multi-hospital. It might be a single a single hospital, and they're willing to be flexible with me with regard to scheduling, and they're willing to uh, give me even a little bit more pay. Yeah, I love it. Right? It's that, so it's, it's that growth mindset around a situation instead of, well, either this works out the way I want it to, which I'm not sure that my leader, whoever my the other negotiating party is, is going to deliver that for me, or I'm stuck in the status quo, which isn't satisfactory to me. And so what what plan B gives our brain the truth, which is that we have agency, we have options. And we know that when your brain recognizes where your choices are, it really helps as a way to combat burnout as well, is recognizing option harvesting, looking at choices. And so the plan B part of negotiations, I think is important on many fronts. And I love the idea of an, of kind of wrapping this with the growth mindset, right? So that so it's very easy for all of us to say, I'm not a good blank. We tell girls, don't say I am not good at math. Maybe you haven't been good at math, but you can become good at math. Same thing I would say to physicians. Maybe you haven't been good at negotiating, but you can become good at it. And it's a skill set that no one is born with as we as we opened with. And everybody can come to the table with good negotiation skills, even when the other party does not have it. Dr. Sue Patternack, CEO and founder of Incline Leadership Strategies, just so much good stuff for us to learn from today. And if you're a pretty decent negotiator, you're going to be better by what you learned out today. And if you haven't been a good negotiator in the past, trying even one or two of these different strategies is going to help move you toward um, life and work that you love, which is where you thrive. How can people get a hold of you, Sue, if they want more information on what the work you do in the world? Sure. My website is www.incleanleadership.com. So incline is spelled N like in Nancy, C-L-I-N-E, leadership.com. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn. You know, I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. And uh, on my website, you can contact me and you can also con- reach out to me in messaging on LinkedIn as well. That's great. Everybody um, can get that website link in our show notes as well to make it nice and easy for you. Thanks so much for this really rich conversation. And thanks to all of you for joining in to listen to the conversation. We hope you share it with everybody you know, because this is really valuable information on any particular physician's road to success. Also, make sure you go to docworking.com today to find out all the different ways we can support you in your life and work through coaching, peer support, and all the other services we have for you. Until next time, I'm Jill Farmer on Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. At Doc Working, we're here to help you maximize your potential on your own terms and help you live your best life. Top executives, athletes, actors all achieve greatness with the support of professional coaches. As a healthcare professional, you deserve ongoing coaching towards success in your career and in your life outside of work, helping you to balance and integrate work and life in the personalized way that is specific to you. At Doc Working, your success is defined by you. 
and our coaching programs help accelerate your path to get you there. And since our programs come with CME credit, you can let your CME budget help you to prioritize your own well-being. Please check us out at docworking.com. And until next time, thank you for listening to Doc Working, the whole physician podcast.